A very good Monday evening to you all. My name is Rems Mabote. Welcome to Metro FM Talk. We do this every Monday and Tuesday. Temba's manager called him into the office. Temba, you've been sleeping a lot at your desk lately and it's unprofessional. What's the problem? Asked the manager. I'm glad you noticed, boss. The coffee machine is not working. Tonight on the show, we have our Talk 5 News Bulletin, and then we're going to speak to Lucius Budibe, the head of public affairs at the Motor Industry Ombuds. But it's not on the consumer feature. We're speaking to him about the big business story, which is the, the uh, General Motors' uh, decision to leave South Africa and what it means for you if you drive one of their cars. That will be followed by Rams and Sense. And there we speak to Jonathan Kohler, the CEO of Lansdowne Investment Properties, to discuss the deteriorating rental payments impacting landlords. We are told that lots of those people who are renting are no longer servicing their, their rentals, and it is uh, taking a huge strain on landlords. And we're trying to find out what's happening. Is it an economic thing, and what, are the, what is the recourse there? And then on the consumer issue, it's rather feature, we speak the funeral industry. We're bringing uh, the Funeral Industry Regulatory Authority. The chairman and the CEO are, going, are both here. And we're starting a feature with them, you know, hopefully a regular feature, where we're going to dig deep, pardon the pun, and find out everything there is to find out about this industry, a multi-billion rand industry where you put in money every single month to cover yourself and your family members, but you don't really know what happens in that industry. So we're hoping in this feature... We're going to end up educating you about the real stuff that's happening here. But we can also promise you, it's going to ruffle a few feathers. It's going to open up the hornet's nest. And a few people are not going to be happy about what's going to come out of this feature. Watch this space. But start tonight. Don't miss it. And then we wrap up the show with fame and fortune. And our guest is Chris Jafter. Twitter is at Rams by the Horns. And on Facebook, it's Metro FM Talk with Rams. The telephone number to dial, and we would like to hear your issues about the funeral industry, by the way. You must call us on that feature, 089-110-3377. So, the RAND recovered some of its losses of the last week on Monday as the panic of Donald Trump's presidency seemingly eased. But the unit was still moving in a wide range between 13 rand 16 and 13 rand 27 to the US dollar in the uh, morning trade. Public Enterprises' Lynn Brown and the ESCOM board will face the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises tomorrow, on Tuesday, following the reinstatement of Brian Mulefe as chief executive last Monday. There was uh, a public outcry following his reappointment after the ESCOM board resolved to bring him back instead of paying him a 30 million rand pension payout. Brown had instructed ESCOM not to pay Mulefe after learning about the pension payout in the media. Nigeria will process will process all tourist and business visas within two days, the vice president's office said on Friday as Africa's largest economy, is it largest though, mired uh, in a recession, uh, tries to improve the ease of doing business in the country. The, application, the applicants will be notified whether their visas will be issued or rejected within 48 hours. With the change to take uh, immediate effect, uh, so 
Okay, I'm going to leave this story because I am fascinated. We're going to have to follow up on this visa story in Nigeria. Small Business Development Minister Lindwe Zulu said research has commissioned, uh, has been commissioned to see how South African uh, South Africa can cushion small businesses against the shock of downgrades by the rating agencies. The minister said despite the downgrades, a department has set a target for small, medium and micro enterprises to increase its contribution to the GDP from 40% to 45%. And finally, as we said in our big news story, uh, General Motors informed em- employees on, uh, and the unions that it is quitting South Africa. Besides uh, its light commercial vehicle manufacturing operations in Struandale in Port Elizabeth, which it is selling to Isuzu, or is it Isuzu, uh, the U.S. car maker intended to seize its South African operations by the end of 2017, GM announced on its website. This announcement uh, of, of the exit from South Africa and India uh, on Thursday followed a March announcement that GM was also exiting Europe by selling its Opel brand to the French maker Peugeot and Citroën uh, PSA for $2.3 billion. Now, what could this mean? There's been a lot said about the meaning of this from an economic point of view, uh, whether it's a, it's a reflection of the junk status we are in, which I personally doubt because they're doing this all over the world. They, they're out of Europe, they're out of uh, Italy, rather out of India. So clearly, there's much more to this than just us. But what does it mean for you who drives one of their cars? Does it mean you're now stuck with a car that may not be serviced or a car that may not, be, may not have parts? What are the implications for you? So we thought we should speak to somebody who can help us understand if this uh, decision by GM may affect you, and we hope it doesn't. Head of Public Affairs of the Motor Industry Ombudsman of South Africa, Lucius Budi, we always speak to him on the uh, consumer feature, but to, tonight he's going to give us uh, advice on this matter. Good evening, Mohair. It's been wonderful talking to you. We, oh, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't found him yet. Oh, Lucia's Lucia's phone is taking a break. We shall come back to this story as soon as possible. But we want to know, especially for you who drive these cars, whether you are on safe territory. Because if you are not on safe territory, then there's a problem. We, there is an estimate that they, they have nothing less than 200,000 cars of their own in South Africa. It means a lot of people are affected by this decision to leave. So if we do not get uh, answers about whether your car will be serviced, whether your car will have parts when it has to replace parts, it may mean that you're now sitting with a skeleton that has no resolution which means you have no recourse. Or would you have any recourse? But as I said, the only person who can help us about this thing is the man who is now playing difficult to find on the phone. Uh, Maybe he needs recourse to make sure that his phone is working properly from uh, the supplier who gave him the phone, uh, Lucius Budive. We spoke to him last week about cars and all, and tonight we can't find him. This, this, This is not good, Lucius. I know somebody's listening who knows Lucius. Next door neighbor, go knock on his door. Tell him that he's make, keeping me waiting. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break and still try to get hold of him. If we can't find him, we're going to move on to our next story. Ten minutes before eight o'clock. In case you just joined us, you don't want to miss our consumer feature tonight. We're talking the funeral industry and we're looking to 
this multi-billion rand industry, the transformation in the industry. We look at the regulation there. We look at the, the, the shenanigans in the industry. We look at all sorts of things that happen in that industry. And we joined shortly by the, uh, the Funeral uh, Industry Regulatory Authority. Uh, the chairperson and CEO are here. They're going to be talking to us about that. And we're hoping that this will be a long-term feature so that you get to understand what happens in this industry that gobbles a lot of money every every day of your life. A lot of money goes in there. But hey, for now, let's continue with our uh, stories on rents and cents. Uh, the percentage of residential tenants who pay their rent has deteriorated by 6 percentage points uh, to 66.08 in the first quarter of the year from 72.52 in the third quarter of 2015. The latest residential uh, rental quarterly rental uh, monitor uh, by TPN Credit Bureau released on Friday attributed this deterioration to interest rate hiking, the slowdown in disposable income growth in household sector, and the indebtedness of households. It said the year-on-year growth in real household disposable income had dwindled from a high of 5.9% in the first quarter of 2011 to 0.9%. In the fourth quarter of last year, on the back of weak economic growth and a rising personal tax, to help us understand this, we have Jonathan Kohler, CEO of uh, Lansdowne Investment Properties, uh, on the line to help us. Jonathan, I good evening to you. You know, I have lived all my life hearing people telling me that the best investment in the world is property. And then I read a story like this, I'm thinking, Really? Yeah, no, sure. Um, look, I think that uh, I think that legislation makes it quite easy for the tenant to not pay. Um, so, I think that generally, in the olden days, when where rent would be one of the last things that you wouldn't pay, I think you know, with the laws in terms of actually evicting a tenant out of a property, um, and and the laws that protect tenants, I think they know that they can not paying actually squat inside units, you know, so it is, it is becoming quite worrying. Mm. But, but I, surely it can't be just a matter of how difficult it is to, to, uh, 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 what, what, what is the way to, 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 to get rid of a, a bad tenant? It has to be, as the story says, a reflection also of where the economy is. Even if, even if you got rid of me, does it mean the next person is going to afford to pay that renter? Yeah, I'm not 100%. I mean, you know, with the economy doing what it is, <clears throat> I mean, people are under pressure. People are getting paid less and less. Um, and landlords are expecting more and more rental, you know, with inflation, increases in electricity prices, increasing uh, increases in water pricing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, so it does become a problem. It does become a big problem. How, if, if, if somebody listening to us now owns a small property somewhere or two, uh, they've been renting it out, things are okay at the moment. How, how do they sort of ring fence themselves from a possibility of finding uh, themselves in the same situation in the future? Because I don't see the economy improving next week, next month, not even next year. Yeah, I think people need to be reasonable about the increases that they charge. Uh, you know, so if you do have a good tenant um, in an existing property, um, and in the olden days, for example, you could charge a 10% escalation, or in some lease agreements, there'd be a 10% escalation clause. Mm. I think if your tenant is a good tenant and they're paying on time, uh, when it comes time at the end of the period to renew that lease, 
one should have a look at that tenant to negotiate a price that they can afford um, because rather having a tenant actually in there paying rental than getting greedy and charging too much and then the tenant actually moving out you know because once you've had a once you've got one month with the tenant not being there you'll never re- recoup that money ever i think yeah. that's a mistake that people make would you would you also advise uh, property owners to perhaps look at working with uh, management companies because maybe it's much easier to collect and manage this situation uh, as a layman i just want to have a property that makes me money yes of course i mean I think people tend to want to place the tenant themselves because they want to save the agency fees. Mm. Uh, but what they need to remember is that, um, you know, reputable agents have been in the industry for years and years and years, and they know the specific accreditation processes. You know, they, that article that you were reading earlier about TPN, yeah. Tenant Profile mm. Network, most of the real estate agencies are linked to that, and that gives you... Um, a very good idea about the tenant's background, whether they're listed on RTC, whether they've been good tenants, whether they've been good paying, whether they pay on time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, if we have a look at um, Lansdowne's book, you know, I just bought some stats with me. Um, out of all of Lansdowne's um, rental management portfolio, if I have a look at the percentages of people not paying their rental, so um, of all of our properties this month, we had about 24.71% of tenants that didn't pay. Oh. But, you know, which, which sounds like a very high amount, but what's important to realize is that out of that 24.71%, um, 8.88% um, are arrears of under 500 rand. So those are tenants that are actually paying their rent, you know, that they've short paid their electricity yes. amount or their yes. water. Okay. Uh, the worrying figure is that... Um, 6.56% of those tenants haven't paid their uh, uh, the rental portion for this particular month. That's a worrying factor. But then again, an encouraging factor is that out of is that um, going into the next month and showing arrears of two months in a row, only 1.93% of people are going into two months in arrears. You know, yeah. so generally with good management, you know, if you've got your managing agent chasing up with the tenants, sending them a reminder, sending them SMS, you know, on TPN you can send an SMS straight to the tenant, which comes from a credit bureau, et cetera, et cetera, and then following up and following up and then handing over to attorneys within that first month, you generally get quite a good response. Now, do you have an idea uh, which income level really of, of, of non uh, Defaulters, uh, are we talking about? Is it is it at high end? Is it or is it across the board really? Yeah, I would say it's across the board. Um, you know, in our market, that first-time tenant or that first-time homeowner between your five and a half thousand rand a month to ten thousand rand a month—that's really our sweet spot, and that's where we really focus. You know, mm. and I would say that a person who's earning between fifteen and twenty thousand rand a month. I'd say that's probably the most hard hit, you know, because with, with rentals escalating, with petrol escalating, with things getting more and more expensive, um, all of a sudden that rental for that studio apartment for 5,500 rand a month is not affordable anymore. Mm. Electricity is increasing, water's increasing, you know, so you can't really blame them. But on the other hand, you know, it's, it's 
it's up to experience. It's up to the managing agent to constantly follow up with that tenant um, and use their experience in terms of uh, trying to get that tenant to pay. You know, there are certain tenants out there where um, you can sort of threaten legal proceedings, et cetera, et cetera, and they pay immediately. And the other tenants that if you go that route, it's completely the wrong route and most tenants will end up squatting there. You know, so you need to use your experience and treat each tenant on an individual basis. You need to be fair, but you need to be firm because if you let it go over that first month, it's very, very difficult to recoup that rental. You must realize that when the tenant moves in, they pay a deposit and the first month's rental. But on the second month, the moment um, you feel that the tenant isn't going to pay, you need to act immediately because the moment it goes into two months, then you really, really are chasing your own tail. Finally, Jonathan, uh, who is there anybody who ever benefits in this kind of situation? Um, I think that I think that uh, tenants who are really struggling in terms of payment and in terms of affordability need to have a look at possibly renting those properties with a roommate or with a partner and trying to make that rental less and less. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if, if property owners have a good tenant in place, I would think very, very carefully about escalating that rental after the first renewal to an extent that that tenant can't actually pay and move out. People mm-hmm. often make the mistake where they're getting um, escalation year after year after year after year, and they actually outprice themselves. You know, the, for, for example, in, in year one, they're getting 6000 Year two, they're getting 6600 Year three, they're getting seven thousand two hundred. Then um, they want the, they want escalation on the next year. But a one bedroom, one bathroom is maybe not renting for as high. You know, mm, so if you mm. do have a good tenant and the tenant is paying the rent timelessly, I would seriously think of negotiating a reasonable increase, or if not, not increasing the rental at all, but keeping that tenant. Because as I said, when you don't get the rental income for one month, you never recoup that cost. Mm. Yeah, Jonathan Kola, <clears throat> I promise you, after reading this story, I was really panicking because, we, you know, every time everybody is told uh, invest in property and if you can rent it out, uh, it's passive income. I'm hoping that it's all a sign of the bad economy that we're going through. And when things finally improve, uh, we will be past things like this. But thank you very much for chatting to us, mate. 100%. Thanks for having me, Rand. Have a great evening. That's Jonathan Kola, CEO of Lansdowne Investment Properties. I hope none of you guys is adversely affected. And I, whether as a tenant or a, as a landlord or a landlady, uh, it cannot be fun not to be able to service your debt. It can, certainly cannot be fun not to be able to uh, receive the money that you owed by a tenant. When the economy continues to be like this, even some invest, investments that are known to be safe investments become very, very difficult. Do you know this pun? Have you heard about this pun? that never, ever invest in a funeral parlor because it's a dying industry. It was a wrong, wrong, wrong pun. That business is booming. So when we come back, we're talking funerals with the Funeral Industry Regulatory Authority on the consumer feature. Tonight on the... Consumer feature, we're going to talk about funerals and it's a feature that we hope to do for a long time to come because, not, not because we like death, nobody does, but we like business and it's a huge business. The funeral industry is a huge business and most of us 
do not pay attention to what happens there. And we'd like you to talk to us about any issues that you have faced. You know, whether you you had a raw deal from an unregistered parlor or you found a wrong body when you were supposed to bury your, your, your loved ones or you were not given the insurance that you thought you were covered for for your, for your, for, for your loved ones, whatever it is around the funeral industry. And we're going to do that over a long period of time. But firstly, we're going to try and understand the industry at a macro level, and we'll go into issues as we go forward. Joining me in studio is the Funeral Industry Regulatory Authority, uh, the CEO, Robert Mthambi, and the chairman, uh, Johan Rousseau. And I'm going to be talking to these gentlemen for a very long time going forward, uh, hoping that they can help us understand this industry and save us from the troubles we don't know. Now, FIRA, they'll talk to uh, about themselves, what they do and why they exist. But one of the things they look at that's very important for me is transformation in this industry. I was shocked. Uh, that's, how, that's where this feature was born. They, they asked me to have coffee with them. And when they told me that this industry is completely untransformed, it didn't make sense to me. I would have thought that just looking at the numbers, just the demographics of this country, that this would be one of those. It would be like the taxi industry that's largely black. I was told, no, you don't know a thing, Rem. Shut up and we'll talk to you and your listeners to understand this. Johan and uh, Bob, good evening and thank you very much for coming in. Good evening to you, Rems, and to our listeners. Johan? Good evening, Rems. Thanks to you and your listeners and thanks for the opportunity that you gave us. Thank you very much for coming in. Let's start at the top. Yeah. I, I, I think it will help us a lot. Uh, just to paint a picture about FIRA and, and the macro picture about the funeral industry, Robert. Uh, thank you very much once more, Rob. Mm. I think there are a couple of things that I first need to be able to articulate mm-hmm. very well. Number one is that, indeed, we are not talking about something that only started yesterday. Mm-hmm. We are talking about an industry that started something that started many, many years ago. This process started many years ago. So that's the first thing that I yeah. thought is important to be able to understand. And then, as you said earlier on, which I agree with you, that we are talking about an industry which is a multi-billion industry, something that is basically, mm. it's important for our people to be able to know that. Yeah. But also, something very much painful is that we are also talking about an industry which is f- fragmented. Fragmented in a sense that, you know, it's not actually regulated. Mm-hmm. I think these are some of the things that I thought it's important to be yeah. able to put into perspective. However, uh, it is also important, equally important for our listeners to understand that FIRA's approach is more holistic in a sense that we basically are aiming to look at all the participants you know, in the industry within the entire value chain. Uh, a lot of perception does exist that when we're talking about the funeral industry, we're actually talking about people who are actually responsible for the bearing. You know, mm-hmm. on the burial side. But you also have other participants as well. And these are the people, for instance. For instance, if you look at people who are renting their services, yeah. the manufacturers, you know, these are people who play an important role. You know, the people who are actually providing all different types of services. Yes. You know, the caterers, you know, the people who are selling the flowers, you know. Th- so these are all the players the list actually goes on and on and yeah, on and on. Yeah. So we're not just talking about one set. Yes. I think it's quite important. Number two, very, very critical is that 
You know, the unfortunate part of it is that uh, our people, I'm talking about consumers now, yeah. are people who are normally the victims within, you know, as soon as death occurs, you know, our people are the most hard hit. I mean, uh, if, if, just to paint an example, you know, if somebody's bereaved and then they feel that things are not going proper, you know, what is normally happening is that at the back of their mind is to say, if only I could just bury yeah, my loved my, one. My loved one. Get, this, get, get this out of the way. Indignity. Indignity. Yes. Irrespective of basically all, you know, all the things that basically happened. And quite often, more often than not, you know, as soon as you know, the funeral has actually taken place, you know, it's gone and forgotten. So we're basically now looking at a recurring of some of the challenges mm -hmm. that basically do happen. Mm. So with the establishment, uh, with fear being in place, it's quite important that we know, I mean, that our people, you know, I'm talking about the consumers now, yeah. there is a level of education that goes with that. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, when you are more informed as a consumer in terms of what is happening, your level of confidence, in, in, it increases to an extent that as you engage with the, any funeral parlor, you do that being fully aware of your rights. Of your rights, what is actually happening. Okay. Those type of things. But also, let me also mention as well that, you know, if you look at government in particular, the government is a very, very, very important stakeholder. Mm. Within this industry itself, you know, it does touch on, on different facets of the government. Yes. You know, social service gets affected within mm -hmm. an industry which is not regulated. Yeah. Home affairs, and the list goes on and health. on. And I mean, on. I can imagine health is involved. People health, pass on. The Department in, of Health yeah. actually goes on and on and on, you know. And uh, with my colleague here, you know, being around as well, you know, I think he'll be able to touch yes. you know, quite a lot, you know. Great. Yes. That's a great introduction. Johan, mm. I, I have to ask this question before you give me up. It doesn't make sense that a huge industry of this nature has been unregulated for such a long time. Yes, Rams. Um, unfortunately, we have to agree with you. There's been a public outcry in 2005 where the public pleaded for the funeral industry to be regulated. Not only regulated, but also transformed and developed. Yes. And uh, since 2005, government has changed a blind eye in the respect thereof. I don't think because they don't want to. I think because they don't really understand it because possibly being misled by stakeholders within the industry. Mm just wanting to protect their interests. Um, secondly is we have to put this uh, in front of government. We already wrote the law in 2007-2008, which is yet to be implemented in Gauteng. We believe that it needs to go to a national level. We also wrote an ombudsman scheme looking purely at the interest of the public, of which that has been delayed. And we just want to ask government and the de departments responsible who is important is it the public 54 million people or is it the small minority of people that wants to play a influential role within the process and mm. i think critical to this effect is 54 million people needs to be supported irrespective of who they represent we're talking about approximately 25,000 funeral parlors throughout the country 25,000. 25,000. And I've just seen uh, some of the organizations which has been driving the process since 1950s has only got 
73 members, of which the three big companies is part and parcel thereof. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, what we need to do is we need to look at how do we accommodate and assist? How do we look at this thing holistically? How do we support government? Um, because we must understand that a lot of these laws is not integrated into a single law. We must understand if that does not happen, investment opportunities would not arise. We need to have a regulated, well-regulated industry yeah. which will draw investment that will create jobs, that will sustain the economy, that will help the emerging parlors, irrespective of whether a small, big, or a large con conglomerate. And I think the perception out there was... You know, that we want to create create an initiative to have a closed-down approach. Mm. I think we need to have a legislative platform where we can enhance each and every player because the whole industry, um, and we may think that it's big funeral parlors that complies. Yeah. We've got so many aspects that we could address to say that they are not 100% compliant. Hold that thought. I need to take a break. And I, I'm glad that we've also mentioned funeral parlors. I, I'd like, if you run your own funeral parlor, this is also a chance for you to talk about your experiences in the industry and ask Fira of any questions that you, you may have. Uh, there are many other issues involved in this case. Are you worried about your existence? Are you worried about how you can be registered and to be, uh, to be, to be legal and to do things the right way? Do you know, when you ask for a funeral parlor, do you know that they are registered? How do you check that they are registered? So when we come back, we speak more and we want to hear from you about any issue that you want to raise in the funeral industry, 089-110-3377. 15 minutes after 8 o'clock, you are on the consumer feature and talk with Rams. My guests in studio are Johan Rousseau and uh, Robert Mslambi, the chairman and CEO, respectively, of the Funeral Industry Regulatory Authority. And we're trying to understand really what happens in this industry. We're trying to educate all of us. And this is both the industry and you, the consumer, because even some people playing in the industry are not really aware of what needs to be happening. And this causes a lot of problems for them and certainly for you, the consumer. So if you want to contribute and tell us your own story from whichever side of the spectrum you come, it doesn't matter. On Twitter, at Rams by the Horns, and on Facebook, Metro FM Talk with Rams. You can also call 089-110-3377. Johan, who is supposed to regulate the industry? You said multifaceted government, but which department has the ultimate control of this industry? Rams, with all due respect, um, we've been engaged with Salga on a number of occasions over the last two years. COCTA, according to the, consta the Constitution, mm -hmm. um, Schedule 5B, Section one five six and two two nine mm -hmm. is solely responsible for the funeral industry. Although the health department plays a role, environmental plays a yeah. role, home affairs plays a role, and as I must just, uh, I just need to mention, I just received a message from a concerned um, association member that they applied and passed all the laws within home affairs, but they're still awaiting their designation numbers, which basically prohibits them from actively participating into uh, the funeral industry, which is a smaller emerging organization, which we need to assist. Well, let's speak about that, actually, Robert. How how easy, how how accessible is this industry to small players? I wake up tomorrow, I've got a, yeah. a severance package, and I think I want to get into this industry. I see that people are making money. 
how easy is it for me to come in and also to grow in this industry? Adorams, I think it is important. I'd rather put it this way and say, what sort of challenges would your uh, emerging parlors face in this industry? Mm-hmm. There's quite a number of them. You know, if I can just mention, you know, a few, we are looking at lack of support. I'm talking about inadequate support. Now, what do you mean by support? Inadequate support, we're talking about training and development. Mm-hmm. Not because of their own making. Training and, you know, lack of training. But, but why? Is it this not a private business? Why? Who should be training me? Is it not my own business and I should not, why should not I take off care of my own training? I think um, CETA's ne- uh, services yeah. CETA needs to play a critical role mm-hmm. of which um, certain documentation uh, modules were submitted during 1999-2000 and it's 23 years later and nothing has really met- happened within services CETA. Or services CETA have a responsibility, they have a responsibility. To, to service this industry. Oh, okay, okay, I hear you. Sorry to interrupt you, Robert. Continue. Not a problem. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. But I think it also touches as well on the, you know, lack of resources and funding as well as infrastructure, you know, because you be able, in order to operate quite efficiently, you need proper, you know, infrastructure, mm-hmm. you need resources, mm-hmm. something that is quite critical. Another thing as well, which I'm sure you can, a, a lot of our listeners can agree with us, is that most of your emerging, you know, palos still find themselves within the base of the pyramid, in other words. Yeah. Uh, you know, earlier on I've mentioned that, you know, we are looking at the multi-billion industry in terms of value chain. There's quite a lot of things in between, mm. you know. But however, a lot of them still find themselves, you know, in a situation that they were here many years ago. Yeah. So we think that uh, a collective, you know, a much holistic approach is required, mm-hmm. you, know, by, you, know, you know, to be able to ensure that from the transformation point of view, people don't find themselves in that particular situation. Is it not also the case, Johan, that maybe there are too many players that then, then it becomes difficult to develop all of them? No, I don't really think so. I think we must give, give everyone a space in the market and level the playing fields. Yeah. Uh, this industry has been dominated for many, many years. You know, the first funeral parlor was established in 1883. Um, 1883? 1883 wow. in Durban. So the thing is, you know, to level the playing fields... Uh, to give everyone a fair chance to participate in the economy. I think, and, and government's priorities has very clearly indicated that the growth lies within your SMME market. And it's not only the, within the funeral industry per se, it's your value chain, which consists of 93 spin-off opportunities, of which... 93 value chain. That's ni- huge. 93. Now, what we've done is everyone um, disagrees with us uh, looking at the funeral industry value at, on its own. You can't look at the funeral industry on its own. You have to incorporate the value chain. You have to incorporate the financial services to get a holistic yes, picture. Yes. And that's why we got to a total value of 200 billion rand. And currently we in, involved with Statistics South Africa to see whether we can't do a holistic approach on to look at what is the actual value thereof. How much money does it contribute to the GDP? How much revenue by government could be regulate, uh, mm. could be achieved in terms of a well-regulated, well-transformed and a well-developed funeral industry? Yeah. Now, there are many other things that don't go right in the industry. Uh, you know, now we've painted this picture, we now understand, but let's all talk, also talk about the things that do not go right. There are people, uh, Robert, that end up with unregistered 
funeral parlors taking care of their, their business. What is the impact of something like that? If I did not know that you were running a, a, an unregistered parlor, what does that mean for me? You see, it's very much important that uh, the industry gets regulated. Yeah. Because as soon as the industry is regulated, a lot of these things will be resolved mm. in a sense that, you know, uh, the, the, the public will be well informed. There's going to be a lot of consumer awareness that yeah. will go with that, you know, to ensure that whatever funeral palos that are actually there, they're actually placed in the position where they can be able to provide, you know, the service. Yeah equivalent to any other funeral, you know, established funeral party. It's something that is quite But important. that regulation, Johan, yes. won't, won't it close down then, the small guy, because if they have to be regulated, won't it scare me to say, I won't meet the criteria and I won't afford one, two, three, four. And maybe the regulation will want me to pay 30,000 rand per month to stay registered. No, I think the perception out there was that smaller funeral parlors would be closed down. Yeah. The, the, the problem is, that we need to place this problem in front of the public sector and the private sector to say, how do we accommodate each other to assist those very small funeral parlors and a medium and a big funeral parlor? Because if that support be, uh, is available in a controlled environment, mm. everyone outsources their business. Uh, it's normal business practice. Yeah. The thing that stops your smaller funeral parlors currently is legislation within the Health Act that said that they're not allowed to outsource. I would say if government uh, plays a role and a more effective role, then you could accommodate them. And over a period of one, two, three years, tell the public and tell the industry, we give you amnesty to grow to a certain point, but you need to provide the necessary support mm. and the training and the development. From an operational point of view, we must understand that a lot of the previous interactions that we had with the media is everyone is referring to the Financial Services Board. The Financial Services Board only looks at the financial aspect of the industry, yeah. of which, unfortunately, with all due respect to the FSB, they are clamping down onto licensed insurance companies and brokers and administrators. But what is the FSB effectively doing to educate the public. The financial services companies is contributing millions and millions and millions of rands uh, uh, from, from the financial services sector. What are they doing to legitimize, to support Mr. Mabatu, which is sitting in Pokstad, or is sitting in Toyando, which doesn't even know of the existence of the financial services board. So currently what is happening is the... Financial Services Board is utilizing insurance companies to become their eyes and ears. And we think that we need to have a more cohesive role mm -hmm. to play whereby we involve everyone and not only a certain segment of the market. I think each and everyone within this industry has got a critical role to play, even if it's a small funeral parlor, because he's based within the community. Yeah. He's based within the the. the family environment where people knows and trust them and I think they've got a critical role to play. Is there a fear uh, from the big players uh, that if we transformed this industry it would mean taking the business away from them? Well uh, I have to unfortunately say that we've seen certain challenges whereby your bigger players is I don't want to say manipulative um, I don't want to say 
that they are colluding, mm-hmm. but there's definite trends there of because certain business is only directed into specific sections. Yeah. And we believe, according to the Consumer Protection Act, that each and every small funeral parlor has the right to utilize, or the family has the right to utilize a funeral parlor of their choice. Mm. And I think it would just be fair for us then to say, how do we level the playing fields? Because we cannot afford that your bigger funeral parlors or your bigger conglomerates grows at the expense of an industry which has been not been transformed. And we're talking for many, many years. And organizations need to interact with us. We plead with the industry and with corporate business to say, how could we assist each other? Um, we are, we've got no vested interest within the funeral industry, so I'm not making money out of it. Yeah. We need to draw the people in as a collective and say, together with government and the private sector, how do we take the process forward? You're listening to Johan Rosso, he's chairman of FIRA, and also speaking to us is uh, Robert Nslambi, CEO of FIRA. FIRA stands for Funeral Industry Regulatory Authority. On this consumer feature tonight, we're looking into this 200 billion rand industry of funerals, of death. I will come back to you, Robert, but I need to take calls. I've invited listeners to call. So they are calling in 089-110-3377 on Twitter at Rams by the Horns and on Facebook is Metro FM Talk with Rams. Calling us from Rudiport, lucky good evening. Yes, Rams, how's it? Very well, thanks, mate. How are you? Hey, thank you so much for this program. You know what? I'm a member of the Seven that Adventist Church in Zondi. Mm. I'm coming from Egoko. Egoko has been paying uh, this, uh, this uh, premium from 2000. Mm. And uh, in the premium, it was uh, uh, four goats, a bus, and a coffin. Mm. Now, his son has just passed away uh, last week. Now, the undertaker is telling him, he's telling her that uh, now uh, that, uh, that, uh, that the four goats and the bus is no longer covered. Now, he must put another 3000 on top of it. So mm. I went there to just come and help. So I want to find out how do we help this was I was under the impression that the Goko did not have the arrangement. You know, he, was, he has been paying this, this thing from two, year 2000. Wow, for 70 now the, years. The, yeah, now the, the, all of a sudden, the, 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 the Goko is saying, no, Undertaker is telling her that uh, uh, the thing has gone up now and he's never been told that uh, he needs to add or, or whatever much. That's a very now, beautiful uh, call, Lucky. I really want us to deal with it. Thank you very much. Uh, let's take another call. We'll come back to, 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 the, uh, to the responses, gentlemen. Mfolozi uh, in Peter Marisberg, good evening. Uh, good evening, Rams and gentlemen in the studio. Yes, sir. Uh, I left my father in 2015. My father passed away for the Sunday. Uh, Monday, we received all the documents like death certificates. Uh, by Tuesday, we submitted everything because my father was covered, on a life cover. Mm. Uh, only to find that uh, they gave us, they said they will deposit money after 24 hours. From Wednesday, they never did anything. But up until Saturday, uh, it was 9 a.m. when they the money. And uh, it was uh, the day of a uh, funeral uh, to take place. So I lost trust because uh, during the time of, of support, the guys, they didn't deliver. And uh, I don't know what I'm saying. If it was uh, one of the major uh, companies. Mm. Okay, uh, follow the listen on the radio. We'll get back to you. And um, Fana Footin, Soshanguve, good evening. Uh, good evening, folks. How are you there? We're good. We're good. Thank you. Shoot, but don't kill. 
Yes, I'm okay. It's in front of food here. I have two stories to relate that happened to, to, to me. Mm. Firstly, it was my fiancé passed on. Uh, we were members of a certain uh, funeral uh, members, a company. Mm-hmm. Then the, 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 the amount that they were covering us with, it was 7000 Then we asked them to assist us. They said, no, we need to act more because... Uh, the cover or the, the coffin that you are choosing is more than wh- what you want. We went back to them and said, okay, right, assist us with the kind of the coffin that you have. They still wanted that money. I won't mention their names. Mm. Then I had to take my fiancé to another palo now. Then I, I went there, I had, I had to pay everything. And then they said, the second one uh, is my daughter. She passed on on the 10th of uh, March this year. Mm. I approached the funeral palo around Sushanguve, we agreed that she would do everything uh, 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 for me uh, with the amount of 4,000 rand. Later, on the evening of the funeral, she changes the price. For me, it was like she was taking advantage of me because of the situation where I was. Oh, I had to, 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 to add that amount of money that I was asking for. And later, it came to my attention that uh, this friend of mine, she doesn't even have a funeral. A, a, a pilot. He doesn't have even a fridge or the mug. He, he's only piloting, but he's got all the emblems and the names of so and so undertaker. The funeral oh. that assisted me is a very different person. And then it was surprised when I explained to the owner what else. The man was a middle man, but he, he's, acting, he's acting as if he's owning the funeral pilot. Vanafuti, I'm sorry about your experiences, but thank you very much for the call. My guests are like nodding every call coming in and like who's going to come first. So, gentlemen, Lucky Mfolosi and Fanafuti are having serious problems. Let's start at the top with Lucky and the gold story. Uh, Okay. I I think both um, the cases of Lucky and Fanafuti, it is relates to the Financial Services Board. Needs to take full control thereof. Because your contractual agreements between the funeral parlor and the insurance company or broker or the administrator needs to be very clear because what we've seen here is that and we that's one of the reasons that we engage the national consumer council it's not the actual pricing it's the actual packaging of the product because what happens if you promise a goat or a chicken or a sheep or a uh, animal and it's not clearly defined within a contractual agreement between the insurance company, the funeral parlor, and the client, there's a challenge. Yeah. Who do we approach? So at, we need to put that in front of the uh, um, financial service board. But that's why we said, is let's engage the financial service but board. But we can't do that when there's no regulation. We can't do that, unfortunately, because the FSB has now for the past few months declined to even engage with us because we are touching real issues. And we've received confirmation that they want to enter into engagement with ourselves on the highest level. In the process, Johan, the stories of Lucky and Mfanafuti and other, other stories are just a microcosm. So it means without this regulation, many other, thousands others who are listening and not listening are going through this thing every single day of our lives. I, I think the critical part of this is you need to establish a single regulatory authority that's got engagement and the relationships with the Financial Service Board, Health, Home Affairs, 
Everybody. Uh, COCTA, social services, everyone involved. Because we cannot. We need a cohesive, integrated structure. And yeah. that's critical for us. Um, and, and then just in, in, in terms of... Delayed the, uh, payments. I mean, delayed payments for me is, is almost... It's heartless. I've got a funeral to run. If I don't get the money, how do I prepare things? You see, the, the problem that we've seen now with Philosi, um, you know, death strikes. The funeral industry needs their money. They need to, um, you know, acquire certain products and services. Yeah. And if a insurance company or a funeral de- parlor or administrator or broker delays the payment thereof, who is suffer the consequences? One is the family, which is being placed under enormous stress. Mm-hmm. And secondly, the funeral parlor, because the funeral parlor needs to pay uh, for grave sites and tents and toilets and catering, and they've also got costs that they need to exactly. accommodate. Robert? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you know, the unfortunate part of it is that <coughs> whatever Lucky and Pelosi have, you know, mentioned, it's something that our people experience a lot. As I was on my way here, I received two calls of people with more or less, you know, the same problem. That's unfortunate part of it. As my colleague has mentioned that, it is very much important that the industry gets regulated. And what we've seen actually happening, you know, towards this, you know, in our endeavor to ensure that, you know, the industry gets regulated is that, you know, unfortunately, some of the associations, uh, they left to pardon me, but it's a fact. Hmm. They felt that, why? We don't need to have the industry regulated because you've got association that can be able to deal with that particular yeah. issue. So they something, want self-regulation. Yes, something which unfortunately cannot happen. You know, it's very much important that the industry has got to be regulated to hmm. ensure that uh, on a larger scale at the national level at all, within at all facets of the industry, yeah. our people don't suffer such fa- you know, fate. Okay. F- yes. Here's a tweet from Windy Potter. Uh, Windy says, is it legal for a covered client uh, not to be informed that by 21 there needs to be a renewal of a policy? Because they allow and continues you, they allow you to keep paying until the client passes on, and they say the policy lapsed years ago when the client was 21 years at the time. Rams, uh, you know, in in those cases, I once again I need to speak to the insurance companies and the financial services board, and we've seen this with the with the with the Sasa debacle that we had, whereby people pay. What happens if a person doesn't pay? Because that's net profit for insurance companies. Yes. What do we do? How do we accommodate the in, uh, the, the the public at the end of the day? And I think that's one of the broader discussions that we need to have with between government stakeholders and the insurance industry because huge profits has been made um, and those relatives are not receiving a cashback or they're not receiving any reimbursement yeah. or whatever the case may be. But I think it's critical that this is the start of a bigger initiative so that we can really become the catalyzers of change. Yes. Look, I mean, that's what it is. We, mm. we see this as the beginning of a long conversation between South Africans and the, the players, the consumers, everybody else. Because ultimately, I hope that, you know, six, 12 months down the line, we would be left in a situation where people are more educated, uh, more informed, but most importantly, that we have regulation. Because for me, without regulation, we're going to have serious problems here. So this is just a beginning, Robert. 
we're not going to finish everything tonight. We're just introducing this subject. I can tell you a lot of our listeners are going to be interested. What I'd like us to do, though, is that as we continue, we then look at a specific issue all the time. And to make it easier, people like to deal with problems. So we have to find a particular problem and come up with solutions. So any problem that may have come to you directly or have come to us, we put it here and we invite people to talk about it. I mean, I read in the paper today about people accessing corpses to make drugs out of that. I mean, that, that, that's hopeless, man. That's sick. And I want us to talk about those things. And I saw you quoted in the papers about that. I've, I've heard about stories of body parts missing and people get buried. We've heard about so many other things. I remember a story two years ago uh, somewhere in uh, Tabazimbi where a, fin a huge funeral parlor was found to have done something completely wrong and one family took them to the cleaners. You know, stories like that. I'd like us to deal with those things as we go forward, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. So I hope that this is the beginning of a relationship where we can help to uncover, pardon the pun, a lot of stuff happening here. So I want you to tell our listeners now, Johan, two things. Well, uh, how do they get hold of you in the interim when they have questions, when they have, but also all those in the industry who want to be part of FIRA so that they are registered and the industry becomes regulated. I think it's critical. Um, it's critical at this point in time, Rams, that everyone needs to understand that the founders of FIRA has not been funded by anyone. Yeah, we've been funding this thing from our own pockets, with a little bit of our own money and a little sponsorship. So we need the public to participate and to say, and corporate business to say, how could we help FIRA? Um, in growing this thing because it's in the it's it's in the publics and the industry and corporate business based in the interest, interest yeah. to uh, support FIRA what yeah. we are trying to do and what we're trying to achieve um, not for our own benefit and I think it's critical that people could visit our website of the ombudsman which is www.fira.co.za um, our email address is info at fira.co.za and we could just say to the industry that we are currently in the process of establishing FIRA Funeral Industry Reformed Association uh -huh. which is critical for us to become a professional independent body that will incorporate not only funeral parlors and the value chain but experts that could really add value to, to the industry and to the public from a psychological point of view from a social point of view, from a religious point of view. That is aspects yeah, that There are so many issues also involved. And from the traditional point of view, do they understand the cultures that are involved in these things? I mean, you know, when you, when you touch my body in the morgue, do you understand what my culture says about that? I, th I think um, the intellectual property within FIRA is more than a century's information. And if a person needs to find out about the traditions and the customs of a Zulu or a Toza and the rites and the rituals of a Hindu and a Muslim and a Jew and an Afrikaner and Englishman, we could give them guidance and support. But it's also critical, not only for the public to know that, but also for the industry to know that, because how could they effectively implement that if they are not well-trained and well-informed. Let's not make this one to the death. Uh, we have lots of weeks to do this. I, I have run out of time, gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Robert Mklambi and uh, Johan Rousseau. 
uh, from FIRA. We're going to be talking a lot about this issue. It's been wonderful having you here. Oh, thank you very much and thank you to your listeners. So all the details are on our Facebook page, Metro FM Talk with Rams. Go to FIRA, find out what they do, ask them questions. They will help you. Don't wait for them to come here because once they come here, we always have about 40 minutes. They have a lifetime to deal with your issues. And he tends to also email at 2 a.m. So don't mind emailing him anytime. Great stuff. When we come back, it's fame and fortune. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank Good evening. Thank, thank you very much to you and to the listeners as well. It feels rather very uh, awkward to move from funerals to the kind of conversation I'm about to have. But this is a conversation that I know lots of us look forward to every Monday this time. And it's called Fame and Fortune. Actor, model and television personality Chris Jafter, who has formerly been named Mzansi's sexiest male, is in studio. And he's our guest on Fame and Fortune. He's one of South Africa's favorite triple threat actors. He began his career off with a bang by ending a role in South Africa's longest running musical African Footprint. Did you guys did you did you guys go and check African Footprint? It had it had a poem. They, they featured a poem by Don Matera. I still remember that. I, I loved that. I, I watched African Footprint Chris, I swear to you about four times. Four times, mate. It was amazing. I mean, uh, this man he's he's been involved in many other productions, the Aladdin, the Pantomime High School Musical, Footloose. Do you dance? And sir, thank you very much for having me on <laughs> your show. Footloose. Oh, Good yes. evening. Good evening, man. Can I get loose? <laughs> Footloose. Thank you Foot for coming. All my Sunday shoes. It is wonderful, <laughs> wonderful to have you here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. We truly appreciate you. Now, you know, this this feature that we do here is rather different in the sense that while we celebrate who you are, we also want to talk to you about how you manage your own money, you know, fortune, as all we right. call it. Yeah. All right, all uh, right, all right. But, you know, as I said, I watched, it, I know I watched it at least four times. African Footprint. At least four times. I know that. And 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 then I, I let's say last week I was walking past Sam and I saw this, but I think I've seen this man somewhere, but I couldn't, I <laughs> yeah, couldn't connect, place. you know, yeah. I couldn't place it. Because I had long hair at the time as well. Exactly. I had you them know? braids. You see? <laughs> so, and I, if I came then to you last week and I said, excuse me, mate, I think I know you, but I can't tell. And you have only 15 minutes to tell me, introduce yourself to me. What? Who are you and what do you do? I wouldn't need 15 minutes. I'd need, I'd need I mean probably 15 30, seconds. 15 seconds. Yeah. I'd remind you like this. Zim! AFNB Stadium, Zindala Zumbili Pagati, where the sky's the limit. Sundowns up against them. Yamagin Kani and Zaka Pulum Flabas are up against a Pesulu. I'm a Pagani. You remember that was in the show, right? Yes, I remember it very well. <laughs> and that's what you do for And you would have remembered. That was me in yes. African Footprint. Yes, yes sir. Yes. yes, sir. That's what I do. I'm an actor, dancer, singer, voiceover, artist, MC model, currently present on top billing. And I'm a bit of a beatboxer as well. No, man. <laughs> we said it's so, going to be entertainment, right? It is entertainment, man. bring it on. And, and therefore, do you make a living out of what you do? I do. I do. And I think uh, anybody, if they put their minds to whatever it is that they want to do, can make a living. Yeah. As long as you know that your motives are right, if you know the purpose for why you are there, if you know the destination, if you know that for me, I know that entertainment is a huge platform to be able to inspire, make a difference and change lives. Yeah. It just depends on how you use it. And it doesn't mean that you need the biggest platform. You just being the best version of who you are 
can sow a positive seed and bring change to someone's you life. You make it sound easy. It has, it has to be a tough industry. Ooh, the, it is not When easy. they have to pick Chris um, <laughs> among many other guys, it has to be tough. It is not easy to get in there. It is not easy. It is not easy. I've been in the industry for 16 years now. Uh, I've paid my dues and I will continue paying my dues. Nobody stops paying their dues. There's different levels that you go to every time and uh, new challenges that you face every time. So the higher you go, the thinner the air is. Woo! I'm getting all philosophical <laughs> up and yeah. Hey, Where's know? Aristotle? Aristotle's <laughs> one of them, my inner voices in my head. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's not easy. It wasn't an easy journey and yeah. uh, it still is tough. Um, you know what? You just got to keep on pressing on. And the reason why it's not easy is because it'll test you. Is that where you're really supposed to be? Do you want it for the fame? Do you want it for the fortune? What do you want it for? Do you want it for the women? You know what I mean? Mm. If you realize that this is an innate desire that you can't escape, you'll find a way to persevere. Sometimes you'll I find... Loved it. I loved it. Sometimes you'll, find like give, uh, you, you'll feel like giving up. There's many times that I felt like giving up. Don't let um, anyone fool you. Like in this industry, it is going to test you to the core. And that is part of your process. It's a part of what I'd like to call laying the foundation. And the structure can only go as high as what the foundation is laid. So if you're going to go deep, it's going to take you some time. You know wow, what I mean? man. So tell me, what percentage of what you make do you save? Um, I save quite a bit. I do save quite a bit. That's uh, something that I've been taught by my folks. Um, they've almost always taught me uh, about finances, how to save my money, how to invest it wisely. Obviously, you do stupid things here, there. You <laughs> you spend a little money where you're not supposed to have spent it and whatnot. And sometimes you look back and you go, oh, you know what, I actually regretted that. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know what? No mistake um, should be regretted if you learn from it. Yes. It'll only make you wise. You'll learn from it. Sure, it hurt at the time, but sometimes we can only learn when we knock our head really hard. In your view, are fame and fortune related? Fame and fortune, I, I think it depends on the kind of person you are. I think uh, there are a lot of people out there that are very wealthy. Um, I've met some people who don't even want to be named. That's how wealthy they are. Mm. We know our Forbes 500. We know of some of the richest guys, top 10 richest guys in the world, Bill Gates, Donald Trump, um, you know, just to name a few. Yeah. But there are guys out there that don't want to be named at all. They are rolling in multiplied trillions and whatever else comes yeah, after, after that. that. So um, in terms of fame, with regards to that, I feel like fame doesn't necessarily come with fortune, but it certainly comes with a lot of attention. And whether or not you allow it to um, open that door, will it come with fame? Have you ever been broke? Yeah. I've been broke. <laughs> I've been broke before. You'd be a strange actor if you've never been broke. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Especially in South Africa. Look, I mean, we, we're getting somewhere in South Africa. Yeah. Um, the world's eyes on South Africa. We've got a lot of international films coming to the side. We've got fantastic actors, local actors that can hold their own on an international scene. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is a problem where um, this sort of sphere of vocation isn't as recognized as it should be. So um, you kind of get forced into having to dabble in different sort of genres yeah. within the entertainment industry. That's why I'm a model, a voiceover artist, an MC, et cetera, et cetera. You gotta have to throw, throw it all out there. Man. Spread your wings as far and as wide as you can so that one day when there's no acting jobs and there's a voiceover, you go, I can do that. Yep. You know what I mean? You've got to be a jack of all trades and a master of some. In case you just joined us on Fame and Fortune, Chris Jafter.
an actor, a television presenter. I could read, <laughs> I could read this thing forever. He's a model. He's a voiceover artist. He's done everything. He's an amazing stage actor. I have seen the man on stage and I know what he can do on stage. So, we do what we always do around this time. We allow you to ask one question. One question on Twitter. You can tweet at Rams by the Horns if you want to ask him a specific question and we will read your question and he will respond to it. But we continue with this conversation after this short break. It is just under six minutes before nine o'clock on Fame and Fortune. Chris Jafter, has it always been good? I mean, did it did it begin well? Have you always been this guy with a silver uh, spoon in the mouth and everything <laughs> started well and ended up well? Do I look like I have a silver spoon in my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, to those, uh, to the fans and to people that don't necessarily know you, they see what you put out there and yep. they see the good life and they see you traveling, this, that and the other. But to get there, I mean, the process, nobody really sees the process. They always see the end result. Yeah. I can tell you one of the jobs that I started doing, I did it for a very short while because it was just not for me. And also, it was a part of the process again. I got paid peanuts, but it was something to do to keep me um, active and to make sure that my hands weren't idle. Yeah. I used to do hard labor, bro. Hard labor with, with a pick and dig concrete out of the ground. What was the name of the play? <laughs> this wasn't a play. <laughs> this sounds like Stimela or something. Eh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you must call it Stimela. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, yeah, and um, it was a friend of the family's company. Um, I needed a job. Uh, I was still in school or, yeah, I was still in school. Um, holiday time, and we basically used to dig out concrete from the ground and lay fences and electric fences as well. And I even shocked myself one time. I was like, you still have all the fingers. Me. Got all the fingers. Got all the fingers. <laughs> still in one piece. But those kind of things, I mean, yeah. it teaches you patience. It teaches you humility. It teaches you discipline, hard work. Yeah. So that when you look back at where you came from, you just remember that it wasn't always easy and that you have to remember that there are others out there that are not as fortunate as you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's circumstance. First of all, you've got to be prepared for the opportunity because I believe that opportunities comes to everyone. Yeah. But um, the only thing that separates you and I from someone who's maybe begging on the streets is circumstance. So tell me, mate, when, you, when we started, you told me about, you know, you, you've been taught to take care of money and do the right things. But I know all of us have an extravagance, man. All of <laughs> us have this one thing that we think, this one I gotta do. Yeah, you know. yeah. What is your extravagance? What is your biggest extravagance? My mother always used to complain that I bought too many shoes, man. I just used to buy sneakers and sneakers. I think I'm in touch with your feminine side. I think I'm in touch with my feminine side. So sneakers, shoes, all of that kind of thing. I have, I have a love for uh, Italian shoes for yeah. good sneakers as well. My dad was very stylish and still is very stylish. Yeah. You'll see him now. You'll think he's my brother. He's very young. My mom is also very stylish, is very stylish. So I learned from them back in the day and that kind of thing. My dad used to, he'd have a pair of shoes or several pairs of shoes for like 15 years. Brand spanking new, polished every day, this, that, and the other. And he wow. Would, he would hand them down, like top names, like Churchills, Florshams, all of yeah. that kind of thing. But he wasn't, a f this, this guy, I mean, my dad, he, he, would, he would save, right? He would save, but make sure that he has enough for this little extravagance. And then the rest for his family. So very seldom would he, would he spoil himself. 
but it would happen over the course of the years where he would collect like that. Amazing. And so when Amazing. he used to hand it down, it was almost oh. like a treasure. <laughs> so so if, if, you know, as you walk out of studio, somebody meets you, they were listening to us on a small radio, love you and they think you, you're a great human being. They asked you, would you say you've made it in your industry? Ah, nah, I wouldn't say I've made it. I definitely don't think I would say I've made it. Um, I think if you ever say that you've made it, I don't know, maybe maybe there's a little bit of growth that stops. You know what I mean? I don't think anyone ever makes it. Um, I do feel like you accomplish certain things, mm-hmm. certain tasks. You reach certain goals in your life. Um, I think sometimes financially you may be, if you're stable or if you have more than enough, I don't think you've made it. I think God's just blessed you and you are now a trustee with that wealth that he's given you to be able to use to help others. Yes. Um, but in terms of making it, I'll continue to say that I haven't made it even if I'm deemed to have made it in other people's eyes, even if I'm doing Hollywood blockbusters and that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think for me, there's maybe just a slight negative connotation to it, but I don't judge those that say they have made it. I just think that you need to con- continue growing. We have a question from one of our listeners, Mayo oh, Hamajuta. Yes. He says, which one of the many roles uh, he has uh, generated more income than the other? And did joining top billing increase your financial status? Um, you know what? I used to do a lot of theater. Um, and theater was more consistent. Yeah. So it would be like what... You'd be on tour for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. On tour for a long time, you get your S&Ts or your per DMs that yeah. you're spending money. So you're not touching your salary, this, that, and the other. And you're able to save. You're able to have a good life. Yeah. Um, if you look at some of the guys, Lion King or yeah. like with us, African Footprint. Yeah. The guys are gone for like five years at a time. You come back, you can buy a house. Mm. You know what I mean? So you kind of sort it. So that was um, that created a little bit more stability. But then on the modeling front, you could get a job that would just like set you for a year. Yeah. So one job. One one good check for one yeah. year, you're good. Exactly. Yeah. One good job for, for one year and you're good. However, there were times you didn't have a single job. Not one. Yeah. There was a time that I didn't have one single job, not one voiceover, not one dance gig. Not one mm. theater show for two years. My parents, I thank God for my parents. They were always there for me, you know what I mean? Like as parents um, try, yeah. they try to be um, there for you and to do their best. And they were always there for me. So I never lacked a roof over my head or food on the table. But um, yeah, if they weren't there, man, I think I would have, I could have drowned very easily. Easily. And, yeah. So one last question, mate. In South African rents, the the uh, exchange rate between the dollar and the rand is about 13 rand 16 correct by, by end of today so would you say in all the work that you've done you managed assets all assets liquid and illiquid that you made your 1 million us dollars <laughs> 13.16 million rand you know two things they say you should never talk about yeah is your finances and your love life yeah and I've kind of given you a bit of the financial side of things, <laughs> so I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Jaffner, you have officially joined the Hall of Fame and Fortune on Metro FM Talk. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Do you know how long I've been waiting to be interviewed at Metro? No, no, don't, 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 don't do that. Do you know how long uh, I've been waiting? Don't do that. So are, Rams, are you serious? Rams, thank you, my brother. You united me into the Metro Hall of Fame. I appreciate it and I'll forever remember it. He's been a great <laughs> guest. Thank you very much, my brother, and all the best in the, in the future. 
continue doing what you do. Thank you, We Chad. love your work. Appreciate it, man. That concludes the show tonight. Tomorrow is Opportunity Tuesday, and we have something cooking for you for tomorrow. From me, Rems Mabote, good night and God bless.